This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us. I have to say, I quite enjoyed reaching for a jacket this morning, uh, though how bizarre is that on the 18th of December to be, uh, yes, getting nice and warm for church, but it is great. Um, let me add my, my welcome uh, this morning. If you're new, visiting, you're online, uh, it's great to have you uh, with us. We are, of course, uh, in a series in the lead up to Christmas, which is only a, a week away, which I'm really excited about. Uh, just a quick uh, note from me. <clears throat> uh, Kay and I, we spent the, the first half of this week down in Sydney with Josiah getting a little bit of ear, nose and throat surgery. So a big thank you to everybody who's been uh, praying for Josiah and praying for us this week. We've certainly seen uh, the hand of God hearing and, and answering those prayers, um, which is not, of course, to say that we haven't had a few sleepless nights um, as well. Um, but Josiah, he had the surgery in the same hospital that he was born. And so for Kay and I, of course, it brought all these memories back and just reminded us afresh of how significant the birth of a child is. How significant the birth of a child is. And we remember, I don't know if you can remember all those years ago, actually telling people about the birth of a child. There are so many questions. There are so many details that people want to know. When were they born? Were they, were they early? Were they late? Did they have to get inducted or did they come on their own? Um, were they born in hospital? Were they born at home through an obstetrician or a midwife? Or did you not make it before the paramedics arrived? Did you have drugs? Did you not have drugs? How big was the head? And importantly, what gender and what name is, has this child been given? And so we're looking at the birth of John the Baptist uh, this morning, uh, and given the sort of lead up to it, you know, the angels appearing, Zechariah losing his, his voice in the temple, like this is a significant sort of build up. And so it's almost surprising that Luke, Dr. Luke, the great historian, the one who is known for including so many details in his account, his account of John the Baptist goes, Elizabeth had her baby. She gave birth, it was a son. Right, that's it. She gave birth, it's a son. Are you serious? Historian Dr. Luke, that's all we get over such a significant event. Well, of course, the account will go on and he'll record an enormous amount of details about Elizabeth and about Zechariah, about the events and the naming of this child, this child called John. And so he's directing our attention away from the birth itself and to the significance of what God is doing. God is doing a new thing in the life of his people. God is doing a new thing in their lives through the birth of this child. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, you're welcome to open it up. We're in Luke chapter 1 and we've started from verse 57 already. Now, Luke might not record a huge amount of details about the actual birth itself, and so we can assume it was a, a fairly ordinary first-century birth. But he does record this lovely, and I think unnecessary, but beautiful detail. We read that Elizabeth's neighbours and her relatives, they heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. I love that. They didn't just hear that she had given birth to a child, but in that, they see, they hear that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. How wonderful is that? What a beautiful little inclusion in this scripture, in the event of this story. 
What a lovely picture of a genuinely loving community. That all her neighbors and all her friends, with no hint of jealousy, no hint of bitterness, no hint of comparison, would simply delight that a good thing has happened to somebody that they love. And isn't that a beautiful picture of what it means for us to be family, for what it means for us to be the church? And that not only do we mourn with those who mourn, but we rejoice with those who rejoice. And for Elizabeth, this is a new experience for her. Uh, throughout the course of her life, her decades, she's well advanced in years, she would have shared in the joy of so many others over that time, putting aside her own unmet desires to simply rejoice that a good thing had happened for people that she loved and that she cared for. And for the first time in her life, she gets to experience what that's like to receive. And more than that, it's been made really clear in the scriptures already that without God, this would not have been possible. And so humanly speaking, she shouldn't really be able to have a child after decades of being unable to conceive and being well advanced in years. This is a miracle, a miracle of God that she gets to give birth to. You know, Elizabeth would have known through all those years, we know her as a righteous and a pious lady. She would have known that God is, by his nature, loving and merciful. She would have celebrated his character. He, she would have worshipped him as such. And yet there's something just different, isn't there, when you have a personal testimony, a personal experience of the character of God being displayed in your life. No longer has she just made reference to the nature of God, but she's experiencing his mercy. And that's what her neighbors and her relatives around her are also hearing and rejoicing in. God is doing a new thing in Elizabeth's life and in her experience of God. And so we read verse 59, that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. So Elizabeth and Zechariah, we know, are incredibly righteous and pious. We've, we've already heard about that. Verse 6, they observed all of the law's decrees blameless. They were blameless as they followed Yahweh. So of course they would circumcise this child, this gift of God, as a sign, as a symbol of being part of the covenantal people of God. A declaration quite literally made in the flesh that identified John as one of Yahweh's own. Now, it was a Jewish custom at the time to circumcise and name the child on the eighth day. This is the sort of first day after a woman's seven-day period of uncleanness after giving birth to a son. But who is the they? Have you ever wondered about that? There's this unnamed group of people that are there. They came to circumcise the child. They came to name the child. Well, it was custom of the day to have a people present, maybe up to 10 people present at the circumcision and the naming of a child in the day. It probably would be the, their local rabbi, um, potentially a priest, Zechariah would have known and possibly even served in the temple with. There would have been a few key people as well that would just observe and be witnesses to what is done, maybe to avoid some potential embarrassment later in his life if people questioned whether or not he was circumcised. Instead of having to prove it, he could actually refer back to some people who were witnesses of it when he was a much younger child. But the point is there are really key people in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth and in their community that come to do this. Now, if you ever need to know how important names are, just run a list of potential names past a schoolteacher, all right? 
And they can say, oh, 10 years ago I had a kid called that in my class and I tell you what, you do not want to name your child that. You've had that experience, school teachers, you're possibly nodding the most out of anybody in this room. right? We know how significant a name is and that even today in the 21st century, we're like, even though there's no relation whatsoever between the child we're about to have and some kid in some classroom years ago, there is still that connotation. It's like names are important, they mean something and you want to get them right. Well, for the Israelites, names are incredibly significant. Uh, You just read through the scriptures about the naming of people, or particularly the times God changes the names of people to understand how significant a name is. And it would be perfectly reasonable and expected and, and customary to think that Zechariah Jr. is actually a really good name for this child, particularly in light of the fact that his dad can't speak and he can't kind of name the child himself. Uh, So to honour the father and to express the wishes for this child that he would not only carry his father's name but walk in the footsteps of his dad, the suggestion is that he be called Zechariah. But God is doing a, a new thing through the life of this child and what is custom, what is routine, what makes sense is not necessarily what is right. And so we read that Elizabeth, she speaks up at this and says, no, he has to be called John. Uh, Now, in Greek, in the original language, this is a really emphatic no. This is like her saying, absolutely not. We're not calling him Zechariah. We are going to call him John. And I want you to consider the courage of Elizabeth to speak up so strongly here as well. Um, It's quite foreign to us today, but in first century, um, she would be subservient to the people that had gathered to circumcise and to name John. To be a woman who speaks up so strongly in the face of people that she's supposed to be subordinate to takes great courage and I think great conviction. And I wonder even in stepping into this if God is doing a new thing in Elizabeth in this. Uh, We clearly see her be a lady of amazing courage and faith and, and conviction all throughout the story. But I don't know if you've ever actually had to stand up and speak out. I actually believe this is what God is saying to a bunch of people who who maybe haven't cottoned on that that's what God is saying. But it does something in you, doesn't it? Confirming faith and strengthening faith. And I wonder, and this is possibly speculation here, but I wonder if Elizabeth, having spoken this out, has a greater sense of her role in the unfolding plan of God. A truer, maybe a deeper conviction that God's will must be done no matter the cost, no matter how many around her understand or not. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, obviously, people are fairly taken aback by that because there is nobody in her family line called John. So it's not like, oh, you don't want him to be called after the father. Maybe there's a grandfather. Maybe there's a really religious and righteous uncle that you want him named after. No, there's no one whatsoever. And so they turn to Zechariah. And they make signs to him. And here we're not quite understanding if that's just simply a nod to be like, what do you think, Zechariah? Or they have to sign to him because he's both unable to speak and unable to hear, which that word in the Greek is often used to describe both conditions throughout the gospel. Uh, But whatever his condition is, they obviously want to get some level of impact from the father. They want to get his opinion. And Zechariah, he asks for a writing tablet in whatever sign they're able to understand 
And to everyone's astonishment, he writes, his name is John, or quite literally in the original, John is his name, is what he would have written on that tablet. John is his name. It's decided. There's no need for discussion. He is already John, just like the angel had announced. And here I think it is really clear that God is doing a new thing. The people expected John to take on his father's name and to follow in his footsteps, to become a priest who served in the temple, who was part of the old covenant ways of relating to God and ministering to the people of God. Uh, But God was positioning John to do just the opposite. He wasn't going to train like his dad. He wasn't going to serve where his dad served. He wasn't going to go to the seat of the old structures, if you like, of society and religion. There's a breaking there, and, and John would grow up in the wilderness, we know, not even among the people of God. And from that place of not being in, he was able to maybe observe and maybe allow God to speak to him in a different way about some of the things that they'd lost, some things that they needed to speak back into. And so John's public ministry is actually a calling people to repentance and calling people back to God. And he's able to speak to that as one who is kind of outside that old covenant systems and structures in a way that I just don't think he would be if he was Zachariah Jr., the priest of God in the temple of God, continuing the old covenant ways of relating and understanding God. Does this make sense? Yeah. It's so significant, not only his name, but where God is positioning him for his future ministry. God was doing a new thing through John to prepare the people for the coming Messiah, and praise God that he was. And so having declared, no, this child, his name is John, God is doing a new thing, Zechariah is immediately able to speak again. After 9, 10, 11, 12 more months, depending on how long it took them to conceive, And immediately the first thing out of his voice is this incredible praise and this declaration, this prophecy that speaks of the coming of Jesus and of the significance of John in that preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. And this is what? It's a miracle. This is a miracle, right? He is healed, he is restored in an instance. And so the word used here in our Greek says immediately, or maybe your translation says at once. And if you want to pay attention, that word immediately or at once, you'll hear a lot throughout the Gospel of Luke every time a miracle occurs. Every time somebody is healed. Sorry, not every time. (laughs) Uh, Many times when somebody is healed. So immediately there is uh, a lady who's cured of her fever in Luke chapter 4. At once, somebody is cured of leprosy at a command of Jesus in Luke chapter 5. The paralyzed man, lowered through the roof, immediately stands up at the direction of Jesus. A dead child is raised at once in light of Luke 8. A crippled woman in chapter 13, a blind man's sight restored in chapter 18, immediately receives his sight. Zechariah here experiences the power of God to restore and to heal and to make new. God is doing a new thing. You see, for centuries, God had been silent amongst the people of God. No prophets had come, no books had been written that that, that were included in our scriptures. And a part of those centuries, there's been a decided lack of miracles amongst the people of God. Miracles, healings, supernatural evidence, 
had been few and far between. And yet, in one chapter, we're seeing angels turn up. We're seeing God speak to people. We're seeing two miraculous uh, conceptions. We're seeing healings. Like, it signals that a new thing is being done. That God is starting this new era of work amongst his people. And so, naturally, this gets people's attention. You pay attention when God moves, don't you? You pay attention when something is new, where it feels like something is shifting. And so Luke records for us that actually all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And I bet they were. Did you hear about what happened with Elizabeth and Zechariah? Did you hear about how his voice was just miraculously cured and he was able to speak again? Did you hear about what he said about who his son would be and and who his son would prepare the way for? And the word translated awe in our Bibles is the Greek word phobos, meaning fear, where we get our word phobia from. And it's not that the events are scary or that we should be scared by the events and what God is doing here, but it's just that idea that when God does a miracle, it creates a sense of awe and wonder in us. It elicits a response to his power and his sovereignty. It creates a sense of connection with God We become more aware of God and his power and his presence in our world. And we become more aware of ourselves. Have you ever had this experience where God is undeniably present or God is undeniably at work, where you're witness to something that is simply unexplainable by any other means than the supernatural work and activity of a sovereign creator God? We become more aware of ourselves as we have to think and we have to ask ourselves a question, so are we following him? Are we worshipping him? Are we experiencing him for ourselves? And it might even cause us to change our ways and realign our hearts even more. And consider Zechariah. I mean, God is certainly doing a new thing in him, isn't he? Decades he would have served in the temple, going up to Jerusalem a couple of times a year to, to do his priestly work and then the rest of the time being in his community, serving and blessing and, and seeking to, uh, to guide and po- help point people to Yahweh. And yet in an instant, possibly the most fruitful season of life and ministry as a priest happens right at the end, right? There's no retirement in the kingdom of God, amen? <laughs> amen. And so everyone who heard this, they're wondering about being like, what is God going to do? What is this child going to be? Where are we going with this Yahweh? What are all these signs pointing to? What is going to be ahead for us as the people of God? If we're seeing if this, if this is what is happening, if this is what is being spoken, if this is what is being prophesied, if this is what people are experiencing, oh my goodness, what is next, God? Is this it? Is this the start? Is this the start of the Messiah coming? I love that. And then Luke just ends this little passage by just saying, for the Lord's hand was with him. The Lord's hand was with John. This is more than the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and their son, who goes on to live an unusual life. This is God's story. It is his hand that is behind everything. It is God who is moving and guiding and impacting lives. It is God who is bringing about this new chapter in Israel's history. 
this new epoch in salvation history, this new covenant that will be written in the blood of his son. And all of this is God's initiative, an expression of God's love. It's God's relentless commitment to his people and his promises to bring salvation. It's being outworked in this story. And you know what? That unfolding plan of salvation is still being outworked today, isn't it? In every heart who looks on Jesus and responds to Jesus. In every community that trusts him and experiences his redemptive power. God continues to heal and to restore and to speak and to draw people home. So a week out from Christmas, just a fairly simple Christmas message for you. And the invitation I'd love just to extend coming out of these small few verses in our scripture is, please don't ever think to yourselves, I guess this is it. I guess this is all that I can experience of God. I guess this is all I can know of God. I guess this is all that I can ever be used by God. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, decades upon decades of faithful service in the twilight years of their lives, I'm sure they had thought, maybe this is it. And yet God is able to do a new thing, not just through them, but I suggest in them. A new awareness of who God is. A new life and vitality in their faith and their experience of being the children of God. So look for the new things that God is doing around you. Look for the new things that God is seeking to do in you. Today, this Christmas, as we begin a new year, a fresh next year together, God is certainly doing new things in the life of our church. And I believe that he's loving, looking forward to, and currently doing new things in each of our lives today. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you so much that this story is so intertwined with ours, that in choosing Elizabeth, in working through Zechariah, in bringing John the Baptist into the world, you prepare the way for the one that we've come to know and love as Saviour and Lord, Jesus the Messiah. God, we want to thank you that you were working, that you were doing a new thing in their lives and in the people of God all those millennia ago. And yet we know that you are the same covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God today the God who is active and at work in the world, the God who longs to reveal his glory and to bring healing and restoration and redemption wherever possible. Father, would you tune our hearts, would you open our eyes and our ears to the ways that you are working around us today? And God, we open our hands and invite afresh that new work in us as well. Maybe we felt stuck in our faith or in our ministry for a long period of time. Maybe we think this is it. This is all that there is. God, we know with you that all things are possible. That each day your mercies are renewed. And that you will continue to lead us closer. Draw us nearer. Help us to experience more of your great love and your power and your presence in our lives. So we invite you, God, this Christmas. Let it not just be another Christmas for us but a time where we deliberately consider, look to, and invite that new work of you in our lives, in us, and in our world. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Amen.
This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.